Um, I, I really love the song that Phil just mentioned by Mercy Me, the Word of God Speaks song. When I was a kid, I went to church because my dad was bigger than me, and he said, we're going to church. When I was a teenager, I went to church because we had a bunch of cute girls in the youth group. And uh, as I get older and older, and even, and even now, I guess as I am growing and maturing, and, and I hope walking closer to Jesus Christ, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to open my Bible. And, and we're in week three of this series in the letter of James. And if you've missed any of those, you can go to the website and you can listen to those and get caught up. But we're going straight through this letter written by the brother of Jesus, this letter by the name of James. And, and I'm telling you, God's word speaks to me. I know more than it speaks to you on Sunday mornings and, and in preparation for this. And so I am loving this series. And, and I just, as I get older and older, I just love listening to God's word and having him speak to me. If you look at the bookshelf here, where do you think we're going to spend most of our time today? In the book of James. That's a good guess. And, and so right down here in the book of James, where we're going to be. Now, there, there's something called parallel passages, which just means James is going to teach about something, and it is also taught in other places in the Bible. And so I'm going to go through a little flurry of, of maybe three passages from the Old Testament. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to look at about three other passages from the New Testament that sort of parallel what James is talking about. But, but you can open your Bibles to the book of James. That's where we're going to be. That's where we're going to spend our time. And one of the things that we talked about with this letter, the, the purpose and the theme of this letter that James wrote, was it's sort of a self-evaluation where I can go through here and James kind of gets right in my grill and he says, hey, what about this? What about that? And so I read those things, I evaluate myself and I say, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Am I being transformed more and more into his image? Am I more like Jesus today than I was a year ago? And James makes me ask myself some of those very tough questions. Now, as we go through these tests or these evaluations through the letter of James, I I have to give you a word of caution. These are not a series of rungs on a ladder through which we climb our way to heaven. You know, the truth is that each time I look at James and I evaluate myself in the way that he causes me to, I recognize my failure and I recognize the goodness of God. And I recognize just how desperately I need a savior as I go through this evaluation. So there's a couple of statements that I want you to write in your notes, and this is really important. And the first one is, I don't do good things to get saved. Okay, I don't do good things or right things, things that even please God. I don't do those things to get saved. And it's important that we know that because I, here, if I I'm going to ask you a question, but don't anybody answer it, okay? I want you to think about the answer in your head. Don't say it out loud, or you might be embarrassed, and later you'll thank me for telling you not to say this out loud, okay? So, so here's a question. Just think about it in your head. Do you think that you're going to go to heaven? Just think about it. Do you think that you're going to go to heaven? Now, I, I, what, what I have read is that if you ask that question, and just to the average person on the street, 85% of Americans will say, yeah, you know, yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. But then you follow up with this question. Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. But you ask this question, why? Why do you, why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And, and so you're thinking about that answer right now. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And most people will answer that question by saying, well, because I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I, got, I, I do more good than I do bad. I, I go to church. You know, we, we tithe. Um, I, I don't 
drink, smoke too, or go out with girls that do. You know, I, my, my, good, my good basically outweighs my bad, you know. And, and we think that that's the scale through which God is going to usher us into eternity, into his presence in heaven. You know, we think, well, you know, maybe 51% good. 49% bad, I think that I'll be okay, I think I'll make it into heaven. And that's kind of what we think, you know, and maybe we, there's a bunch of school teachers in here, maybe they're thinking 70%, you know, that's the scale that we grade on. Maybe God came up with that scale originally, and it's like 70% good and 30% bad. And then there's the mercy people in the room that are thinking, oh no, I think probably just 15% good because God is full of grace. And if you're just 15% good, I think that he'll usher us into heaven. And and we keep, we, we, we get into that mindset that if I I'm good, I'll go to heaven. I don't do good things to get salvation. I don't do good things to earn God's favor because if I am in that frame of mind, and, and here's why I didn't want you to, ask, to answer this question out loud because I think a lot of us go into that mindset. If I think that I can be good enough to go to heaven, that's either a pretty arrogant place for me to be or it's, or it's a place that's just really filled with misinformation. Okay? I can't be that good. And, and, and I'm getting to know you pretty well. You're not that good either. We can't be good enough to earn God's favor and to earn salvation. We can't be good enough to deserve Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And so write this statement in your, in your notes as well. I do good things because I'm saved. I don't do good things to get saved. I do good things because I am saved. The good that I do is really God's grace overflowing because I have experienced so much of his love and his mercy and grace. And so the good things that I do are a loving and a natural response. Because as Jesus said, I, I am a follower of Christ and, and I am connected to the vine and he is the vine. And, and if you're a branch that's connected to the vine, you're going to bear good fruit. Jesus talked about that. You don't bear good fruit to earn God's favor. You bear good fruit because you're connected to the vine. And James leads us through this spiritual checkup, through this self-evaluation. And last week, here's kind of the, the, the test that we looked at through James last week. Am I joyful in the midst of trials? Am I joyful? Can I find peace and comfort and confidence? Can I find eternal joy in the midst of my circumstances? And we called those storms. Do I have confidence in my prayers or do I struggle with doubt? Do I struggle with comparing myself to other people? Do I take responsibility for my own sin and for my own mistakes or do I blame other people and maybe even ultimately blame God? Shame on you. But sometimes we do that in this roundabout way. Do I see everything good as a blessed gift from God? Not to take for granted and, and we look at these tests, and all of that was from last week, and we're like, wow, you know, I, I don't do that very well. I may, maybe I'm on a pathway, and maybe I'm doing it a little better now than I did when I was younger because I'm growing and maturing, and I am becoming more like Jesus. But I still fail. If it's a pass or fail test, I still fail the test, but I've got great news for you. And you'll want to write this in your notes. This is the application of the whole series. And we say this phrase every single week. God's expectation for me is, does anybody remember? It's progress, not perfection. God knows you better than you know yourself, and he doesn't expect perfection from you. But I believe he does expect progress, and I think James takes us to that place over and over again. And the only place to look, the only place to know if we are making progress 
is by measuring our lives and our actions and our attitudes and our heart with God's word. Rick Warren is a preacher out in California, and he says this phrase all the time, and and I love it. God's will is revealed in God's word. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It's in God's Word. You've got to dive into God's Word. You've got to learn God's Word. You've got to meditate and chew on and, and, and just, you know, be into God's Word. God's will is revealed in God's Word. And you'll remember from week one, just two weeks ago, that, that God's Word is not, not just full of a bunch of do's and don'ts. God has no intention of just robbing us from any kind of joy in life. The do's are there to give us a more fulfilled life, and the don'ts are there to protect us. Phil, during the offering time, mentioned, um, I guess, what maybe you guys were talking about in the adult class, and, and they, were, they were tithing and they were collecting money to rebuild God's house and to restore God's house. And that's something that happened quite a bit in the Old Testament because they would be overtaken, and the first thing they would do is destroy their place of worship, and then it would happen over and over again. And I've got this little story that, that I'm just going to briefly mention that's in my notes. And, and there's this young man by the name of Josiah who became the king of Judah at the age of eight years old. And and what he found as he got a little bit older is that there had been money set aside to restore and to, to remodel, to refurbish God's house. And that money had been given. It had been set aside. And they come across this money. Well, what's this for? Okay, well, that's for God's house. And so he's like, well, we got we to do something. We got we to use this, you know. And, and at the age of 16, he really began to seek God and to want to know God better. At the age of 20, he began to purge the land of all of the symbols of the false gods, all of the false altars and and. He did some really cool stuff. Like he, he took the, the false prophets and, and, and burned them on the altars to the false gods and then destroyed the altar. You know, he, he did all kinds of stuff. It said that he, he like, he just, he just crumbled these symbols of false gods and false religions into dust and then scattered them on the graves of the priests that had led the people astray. He, he did some really dramatic stuff. And, and so that was, that was at the age of uh, 20 that he began to do things like that. At the age of 26, after cleansing the land, he gave these orders to restore the house of the Lord. And during the construction or the, or the remodeling as they were restoring the house of God, they found something that had been lost for a really long time. Does anybody remember this story and know what this is? They found the book of the law of God. They had God's word and it had been lost for generations. Generations of kings didn't care about it. The priests weren't teaching it. It just got set aside and it was somewhere in this mess of a temple. And, and then they find it. And so they bring it out and they present it to the king, to, to, to Josiah. And he begins to read it. And the Bible tells us, and you can look at this on the screen, Second Chronicles 34, 19. I think that, I think that it says 319 or something in your notes. So, so put a four there. There was a typo. Second Chronicles 34, 19 says that, that when, when they presented him with the book of the law, when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. He, he just ripped his clothes in repentance and in sorrow because he realized we haven't been living according to God's law. The way that we're living our lives is not pleasing God. And he didn't know. He was just living in ignorance. He didn't know any better. But now he came face to face with God's word. There's some other great passages. The These are kind of these parallel passages that I mentioned. Psalm 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness and I've set my heart on your laws. What a beautiful passage that is. I have chosen the way of faithfulness and I'm going to set my heart on your word, God, on your laws. Jeremiah 6.16, ask where the good way is 
and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And I think that that's something that we all desire. Now, this week's passage is very much connected to last week's passage. There's, there's, a, there's a, a phrase at the end of the passage that we looked at last week that, that kind of operates as a hinge that connects these two together. And, and I think it's really important that we know that. James took us through that self-evaluation. And then he said that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. God chose us and he gave us birth through the word of truth. He's talking about God's word again. And so we're going to look at today's passage in that context, okay? It's not, it's not independent of the passage and, and the words that come before it, and it's not independent of the words that come after it, okay? So in that context, let's look at James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James is writing here, the brother of Jesus, and he says, and he's writing to Christians, right? He's writing to Christians that are being persecuted, that have been scattered all over the known world of that time. And he says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God Father, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray that as we, as we come together here that you would speak to us this morning and that you would speak clearly, that you would speak loudly, and that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so if you have your Bible open to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, we're going to kind of go through this a couple a verse or two at a time and, and just talk about it a little bit. So verses 19 and 20, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now that's great advice, right? Maybe you've heard that before. You should be slow to speak and quick to listen. You should be slow to get angry. And, And, you know, maybe you heard it this way. God gave you two ears and one So you should listen twice as much as you speak. Have you heard that before? Now, we've heard that. That's great advice. That's awesome. Wisdom living advice. And I think that's even a fair application from this passage. However, James is saying so much more than this. And that's what I don't want us to miss today. Because we're putting this into the context of what he's been talking about with God's Word. And this passage doesn't stand alone. The context before and the context after, it tells us that James is talking about God's Word. And so, number one in your notes is, I will receive God's Word. That's what, that's what James is talking about here, is, is receiving God's Word. Now, if, you, if you've uh, ever 
had like an old-fashioned CB radio or an old-fashioned radio in your car, you know, not all this digital stuff, and you've got to tune it in to get reception, right? Or you've got the rabbit ears on your TV, and, and we, actually, we actually were struggling with some rabbit ears when we moved into our, our new house here. And, uh, and we're like, oh, man, we're just not getting reception, you know? And it's, and it's all just goofy and everything, but you've got to really be in tune to receive what is supposed to be coming your way. And what James is saying here, number one, I will receive God's word. That's, that's the challenge that I have for you to, to make a commitment that you want to be in a place that you want to be finely tuned in to whatever's going on to receive God's word. And so the first bullet point here is to develop hunger. Develop hunger. He says, be quick to listen. And we as believers are to respond positively to Scripture and eagerly pursue every opportunity that we have to to know God's Word and to come to know Him better and His will better. So when he says to be quick to listen, he's not just saying in your... you know He didn't just talk about God's Word and then interrupt that to, to say, let me give you a little advice on you know, how to have better people skills and then go back to talking about God's word here in just a moment. No, this is still in the context of God's word. And he says, be quick to listen. Be quick to hear God's word. Be quick to be a good listener of God's word, to put yourself in environments where you can hear God's word. To Be quick to, to take an opportunity to plug into a Bible study. Be quick to, to, to want to be in worship where God's word is going to be preached and where God's word is going to be taught. Be quick to pick up your Bible and say, hey God, I don't, know, I don't even know where I'm going to look today, but I want you to speak to me today. Be quick to do those things, be quick to listen to God and develop a hunger for it. Be drawn to God's word just as naturally as we are. We are drawn to food or we're drawn to water. I thought about the story where the guy is having this, um, this interesting conversation with his wife. I don't want to call it an argument, but he was having this interesting conversation with his wife. She had cooked and she had had the beautiful meal and they had just eaten. And he's sitting there on the couch thinking, oh, honey, that was awesome. Thank you. And then, and then, you know, she sits down and she looks at him for a few minutes and then she finally just says what's on her mind. She says, aren't you going to do the dishes? And he said, oh, oh, you want me to do the dishes? And she said, no, I want you to want to do the dishes. And he said, I don't want to do the dishes. And she got really upset. She didn't just want him to do the dishes. She wanted him to want to do the dishes. And sometimes we just don't want to do the dishes. And I guess when I think about developing this hunger for God's word, it's not just coming to church because, you know, it's this obligation and I'm going to come. Well, it's what we've always done. I grew up going to church. I'm going to continue going to church. You're not just coming out of some routine or some obligation, but you're coming because there's a a deep hunger and you want to be here, not, not just to visit with your friends, which is wonderful, but you have this deep hunger for God's word. The next bullet point is to willingly submit. Willingly submit. James says, be slow to speak. This phrase carries an idea of being cautious with opportunities to preach and teach God's Word. Later, and we're going to get to this later in the book of James, he says, hey, not so many of you should be teachers because you're going to be judged more strictly than, than others. So, you know I, know, I know you're excited about teaching. Some of you shouldn't be teachers. You know, and that's okay. He, he's being honest because teacher, you know, there's a, there's a very high level of accountability there and responsibility. And so 
part of this submitting to God's word is being slow to speak and saying, you know what, when I have an opportunity to preach or to teach or to share Jesus, man, I'm going to do, I'm going to be so prayerful about that. And I'm going to be as, as well prepared for that as I can. But it also, I think, carries this idea. Don't spout off foolishly saying things in the heat of a moment or, or whatever's going on that's later going to hurt your testimony for Jesus Christ. Be slow to speak. You know, maybe you've heard the phrase, you can't, you can't unring a bell, you can't unscramble an egg. Those words leave your mouth and they are gone forever. And you can say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was going to do that kind of damage. I didn't mean it the way it sounded. And you can apologize and you can receive forgiveness, but you can't get the words back. They're out there. So be slow to speak. And then the third bullet point is this. Avoid resentment. Avoid resentment. He says, be slow to become angry. So, so be, be quick to listen. Opportunities to hear God's word. Be slow to speak. Be, be very cautious about the words that come out of your mouth. And, and avoid resistance uh, or avoid resentment. Be slow to become angry. Now this, this is from the Greek word that describes a deep internal resentment and rejection. And in this context, it's a rejection to God's word. So, so be slow to get angry. Be slow to build up this resentment and this rejection of God's word. When James is getting in your grill and he's making you uncomfortable and he's making you squirm a little bit, accept that as the Holy Spirit working on you. I want you to imagine something really uncomfortable here for just a minute, but, but we'll, we'll do it, okay? Um, I want you to imagine that you've noticed a spot or a lump, or an ailment, and it's just not going away, and it's just not getting any better. And so finally, you're starting to get worried about this, and so you think, well, you know what, I think I, think I better go to the doctor. And so you go to the doctor. Now, do you want a doctor that just kind of smiles at you when you come, gives you a big hug, talks about the weather, asks about your family, and then says, I think you're fine. See you next time. Is that the doctor that you want? Do you want a doctor that's going to check under the hood and poke around a little bit, figure out what's wrong, and then give you the honest truth? Now, you, you, might, you might not like the news. You, you might be very uncomfortable with the news. It might cause a lot of apprehension, but what good does it do to get angry with the one that came up with the diagnosis? And I think it's what James is saying. Be slow to get angry. When God begins to work in you and convict you through His Word, let it do its job. Don't build up a resentment against that. So I will receive God's word with a spiritual hunger and, and a willing submission. And then even joyfully as I'm being convicted and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And then number two in your notes, I will respond to God's word. I'm going to receive God's word and I will respond to God's word. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. So the next bullet point is we're going to strive for purity. We're going to strive for purity. Get rid of all filth. Get rid of all evil. You know, this, this word, this phrase is the same phrase in the Greek that you would use if you were going to take off dirty clothes. You know, you got a mudroom at your house. 
A lot of people have a mudroom, or you wish that you had a mudroom. Because I know when, I, when I'm done mowing the grass and doing all the weed eater and stuff, I have to hose myself down before I even walk on the patio because it's just disgusting. And so this is the same phrase that you would use to take off dirty clothes before you enter into the house. And it's saying get rid of all of that filth. Get rid of all of that evil that's in your life. Get rid of all of the sin that is going to get in the way of God's Word doing its job in you. This word stresses the importance of putting off the sin prior to receiving God's word. Sometimes this is really disgusting, but I read it, so you're going to hear it. Um, Sometimes sometimes this this word was even used to describe earwax, okay? A lot of earwax. I mean, have you heard a story? I I, I have heard a story of somebody, it was on the radio, it was a talk show, and it was really disgusting, but somebody that thought that they had a hearing problem, and they went to the audiologist, and the the doctor, you know, does a lot of investigating. It turns out they just had, like, you know, a five-gallon bucket of earwax, and the doctor, whatever they do with the plunger, I don't know how they do it, but whatever they do, they get it all out, and then the guy can hear fine, okay? So he didn't really have a hearing problem. He was just all plugged up. And, and this is the same word that would be described there. And if you think about it, this is kind of amazing. This is the sin. Get rid of all of the sin that would impede your spiritual hearing. And then he continues in verse 21 by saying, And humbly accept the word that's planted in you which can save you. Humbly accept God's word. And I want you to hold on to that word humble, or you can, you can drop down to the next bullet point if you want to, and you can say, you know, practice humility. That's going to be the next one, and it comes from that passage in verse 21. But I kind of want to stay right here for a minute. Verses 20 through 24 say, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, like someone that looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, this word for deceive, you know, if you, if you listen to the word and you don't do what the word says and you're just a listener, then you're deceiving yourself. This word, you know, you guys are going to, David, you're going to love this. This word is actually a mathematical word. It comes from mathematics and it refers to a miscalculation. So if you're being deceived, you know, professing Christians who are content with only hearing the word, not doing the word, They have made a serious spiritual miscalculation. Just like you would if you were balancing your checkbook and you make some terrible, terrible mistake. And he talks about looking into the mirror. Now, now this phrase of looking into the mirror does not just mean to, to take a casual glance, but it means to look carefully and look cautiously into the mirror. And have you ever wished that you'd looked a little longer into the mirror or a little more carefully? I mean, I have. Uh, well, let me tell you, because this just got awkward, because nobody else raised their hands. But I, I, we've got these dogs that get us up really, really early in the morning. And um, sometimes they, you know, sometimes we get up like at, at 5 o'clock or 5.30, you know, and for me, that's early. And so I'll get up and I'll, you know, I'll go walk the dogs and we got three of them. So I'll just hook up their leashes and I'll stumble out the door and, and uh, we've got sprinklers going off and everything. So I have to go out the front door and just walk them around the block. And Janine has this, this big piece of furniture right by the front door. And I don't know what it is and I don't know what you do with it, but there's a mirror on it. And so, I, you know, that's usually where I am when I'm hooking the leashes on the dogs. And I've also got some hats hanging on the other side. And, and I'll catch a glimpse of myself at 5 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, i got the wild hair going on. And so I'll grab a hat and I'll put a hat on. 
But usually that early, it's usually no, there's nobody else out. Nobody else's dogs in our entire neighborhood get them up as early as my dogs do. It's great to be first at something, you know. And so usually I'm out there. I don't see anybody. But it's funny that sometimes I'll catch a glimpse of myself, you know, and it's like, Ugh! and then I'll I'll hook the dogs up and I get distracted and I forget to grab a hat and I'll go out and I'll walk the dogs and then you know I'll see oh there's another neighbor walking their dog because it's it's six fifteen instead of five or five thirty and you know and I'll stop and I'll talk to them hey it's good to see you how you doing you know hey beautiful morning isn't it yeah the stars are okay all right have a great day and then I'll walk in the house and I'll be like ooh man it was crazy I forgot to put a hat on and I don't know if you've ever done that where where you, maybe you took a little a, a quick little glimpse you know and and then you got distracted and you forgot what you had seen but that's what James is saying here if you if you hear God's word and you don't do God's word, if you don't do the things that you're being convicted of, it's like somebody that looks in the mirror, you see something you don't like, but then you get distracted and you forget what you saw and then you just go on. You know, I, I know that I've seen women in the grocery store with curlers in their hair and they forgot that they had them in their hair because I've seen, you know, I've just, I, I've seen that or, you know, so you got food in your teeth. I mean, there's just whatever it is. You, you see something that you don't really like, but then you forget about it. And you just kind of move on. And guys, there's something that I know about preaching, okay? There's a lot I don't know about preaching. But one thing that I do know is that by lunchtime on Monday, this is gone. I mean, I know that. I, I deal with that. I, I, I'm not okay with that. That's why I get so excited when I, when I hear you guys continue the conversation throughout the week, be either on Facebook or you know, you'll post, a, you'll post a, a passage that came from the sermon or something. Or even better than that, I get really excited when I hear you commenting or saying things that, that I didn't say at all, but it was related to that and it made you think about something and you're wrestling with something or God revealed something to you. I get really excited when the conversation continues throughout the week because the truth is for most of us it's gone Monday lunchtime it's gone I'm thinking about who's playing football tonight you know and what's for dinner I mean that's what we're thinking about and I know that it's gone and here's what James is saying this is this is exactly what James is saying unless followers of Jesus act promptly when they hear God's word and they're convicted by God's word unless they act promptly when the Holy Spirit convicts them you're going to get distracted and you're going to forget about the changes that God put on your heart. You're going to forget about it. You're going to get distracted and you're going to move on. So James is saying, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Let's define hearer and doer. And this is in your notes. I kind of wrote this out pretty long because I thought it was such good stuff. So Hearer means passively listening to God's word with very little desire for obeying it. Just passively listening. Yeah, I'm here. Just listen. Hey, I'm just, just checking it out. All right. That's cool. He made me laugh once. Preached a little long, but he made me laugh once. So you're passively listening with no real desire for obeying God's word. It's kind of like auditing a class. Auditing a class requires attendance, but no outside studying, no testing, and no real accountability for the things that are taught. That's kind of what being a hearer is. But here's what a doer is. Being a doer goes beyond the idea of simply what a person does, and it goes all the way to who that person is. I think that's pretty cool. So the word is doer, but it means more than doing. It means being. And here's the idea. It's, it's one thing to make occasional repairs around the house. 
usually when I make a repair around the house, it necessitates other repairs around the house. But it's one thing to make little repairs around the house, and it's another thing to be a professional builder. Do you understand that? Like, but I did this, but I did a repair. Well, I'm not a professional builder. So it's even beyond doing something, and it, it really encompasses who that person is. And God's Word wants to work in you to help you to become something more become more like Jesus. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. So I'm going to respond to God's word by striving for purity and I'll practice humility. I've gotten rid of all all of the sin, the evil, the filth that weighs me down. All of the the guilt and shame is gone. None of that needs to interfere with what God's Word wants to do in my heart. I humbly accept God's Word and His message that leads to salvation. I have a strong desire to do what it says. I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. And I'm blessed. And you know, I'm not just blessed for me, but this is, this is an important concept. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to be a blessing to other people. One of the ways that we can bless others is with our words, by using words that uplift and words that encourage, not words that tear down. There's a whole lot more on that subject when we get to chapter 3 of James. So I'm going to move on. It's just a little commercial for that's coming, and it's going to be really awesome. Then in verse 26, he said, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. What's the word deceive mean? What's that mean? Yeah, it's a miscalculation. It's a mathematical miscalculation. It's the same word. But, but if, you, uh, if you consider yourself to be religious and yet you do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself and your religion is worthless. So James chose a word here for religious that refers to the outward public ceremonies, the rituals, all of that stuff that's going on on the outside that you can just kind of skate through without really being sincere about it. That's the word that he chose. You consider yourself to be religious, well, your religion is worthless if you can't control your tongue. Because the truth is, the words that come out of your mouth, they came from somewhere, right? Where'd they come from? Yeah, the words that come out of your mouth were first born in your heart. And James is saying, we've got we've to take, we've got to do something here to get, get a rein on our tongues. So I'm going to respond with purity and humility, and then the third bullet point is I'm going to take action. James says, you know, bless others with your words and bless others with your actions. And he gives a really, really powerful example here in verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and flawless is this, and here's an example, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he gives this great example that I think was probably all around them during this time of persecution. There are orphans and widows among you. Look after them. That's the religion that pleases God. That's the religion that honors God. It's not just the ceremonial ritual stuff that you don't even have to be sincere about, but it's something that really comes out of your heart where you begin to take your eyes off of yourselves and you begin to look at the needs for others and you take action, you get involved in their lives and you're helping them And that's one of the keys to not becoming so much like the world around you. One author said that the church is the model home for the community that will one day be heaven. 
People should be able to enter into this church or any church, and they should be able to get a glimpse of heaven, the love and the acceptance and, and God being here through our worship and, and the communion with him and the remembrance of all that he has done. And James gives the beautiful example of taking care of orphans and widows, that benevolence which so beautifully illustrates God's relationship to us because the orphans and the widows probably caused by the persecution that's going on the loss of life that has happened, but taking care of the orphans and widows, they can't do anything in return. You're you're just doing this out of the goodness of your heart. They're not going to be able to repay you. They're not going to be able to repay the goodness to you. And he's saying this is pleasing to God, and it illustrates God's relationship to us because all of the good that he does for us, we can't repay him. We didn't deserve it. He just pours out his goodness on us. And James writes this letter not from an ivory tower. He is in Jerusalem where the persecution began. He is in Jerusalem, which is ground zero, where everyone else fled from. And if you remember from week one, it's shortly after he writes this letter that he is killed for his faith. James is right in the trenches. He's right in the middle of the persecution. And he basically says, I am writing because some of you have been deceived into think." into thinking that that you're living lives that honor God and your life does not honor God. There's a miscalculation. You've been deceived. Here are a couple of passages from the New Testament. John chapter 14 and 15. Jesus is speaking and he says, If you love me, you will keep my... Yeah, you want to talk about your love for me? Take action. Do something. Respond to God's word. Keep my commands. Beautiful passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, Jesus is saying, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is the conclusion to the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. Jesus said, everyone that hears these words of mine, and if you do them, you're like a wise man that built his house on a... Yeah, and he goes on to say, if you hear these words and you don't do them, you're like a foolish man that builds his house on... And then he talks about the storms coming, and you're not going to survive the storm if your house isn't built on the rock. 1 John 5, 3 says, this is love for God. You want to know what love is for God? Do the dishes. No, I said it wrong. Want to do the dishes. This is love for God, to keep His commands. And then he goes on to say, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts to suck the joy out of your life. It's to help you have the most fulfilled, the most joy-filled life that you could ever imagine. James could say, some of you think that you're building your house on a rock, but you're not. And the storms are on the way. And you're going to be destroyed. So I wanted to end this morning with uh, uh, challenging you with a very clear next step. And so if you'll look at the, the bottom part of your outline there, there's a place where you can jot some notes you can do that now if you want to. You can pray about it and do it later. But I'm, I'm going to challenge you pretty heavy here because James is challenging me so heavy. So here's the challenge. Look into the mirror of God's Word. Look into the mirror of God's Word. And take a good, long, careful, cautious look. And I'm going to challenge you this morning to identify one thing that you see that you don't like. When you look into the mirror of God's Word, find one thing 
that you're looking at that you don't like? One thing that God's Word reveals about you that you wish was different. Maybe you want to develop more of a hunger for God's Word, not to just go through the motions, but to really have a deep spiritual hunger for Him to come to know Him more. Maybe you, you are, are quick to speak. I like that. Maybe you're quick to speak and, and sometimes the words just fly out of your mouth and, and sometimes they hurt your testimony or they hurt people that you love and, and you, just, you just don't like what you see when you look in the mirror and you think about that. I know that God's Word creates tension in our lives because it's, it's, it's convicting us of things. And, and, and I want to challenge you, don't be agitated by that tension, but let that tension lead you to repentance and to change. So look into the mirror of God's Word. Identify one thing that you see that you would like to change. And then here's the big part of the challenge, because that part was easy. Here's the big part of the challenge. Find one person that you trust and ask this question. What do you suggest that I do? to honor God in this area of my life. Look into God's Word. Find one thing that God is convicting you of. Go to someone that you trust. Talk to them about it. Pray about it. And then ask them this question. And then take a deep breath and just sit there. Now, what do you suggest that I do to honor God in this area of my life? Each week as we go through James, there's going to be a memory verse. And today's memory verse comes from James chapter 1 and verse 19. It's not the whole verse, but it's the part of it that I think that will be easy to remember and I think will trigger a lot of the things that we've talked about. And so I want to challenge you to memorize this phrase. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And you know what that means. It's more than just good people skills. A hunger for God's word slow to let words come out of your mouth that might hurt your testimony and slow to get angry when God begins to convict you and and cause discomfort in your life. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love and for the way that you work in our lives and I pray that as we, as we are convicted by your word, as we feel like many times we have, we have failed when we, you know, when we look at this test, we feel like we've failed. I pray that we would just remember the grace that you pour on us through Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And you didn't do that because we were good enough. You didn't do that because we had deserved it or earned it in any way. But your word says that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, and we are so grateful, and we love you. Help us to grow to be more and more like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.